Acts chapter 15. Okay, if you have Acts chapter 15, we will begin. I want to welcome you to chapel today. Uh, I'm glad you're here. So let's see. Good morning. It's time for chapel. I hope you're ready to three things. Listen, learn, and respond. Again, I'm Mr. Edgar, and this must be you down there at the bottom. I don't know which one of those guys are you. You ever feel like the little red one at the back? You know, you're barely, yeah, that's, you know, Mom, wait. You know, you run after the car when she's pulled out of the driveway. Maybe you're that intellectual guy with the glasses. I don't know. But you've got to be ready to get going. And I want you to have a cool time this summer, so I'm going to lead you about best I can in chapel every day. I just get to be the taller pencil in front, but, uh, you know, we just all get to learn together. So good morning and welcome to chapel. Next thing. If you want to be cool, I like that picture. It looks just like he's just dancing along. We're going to be cool as we, uh, I think camp is cool. I made my decision after being a little bit away from the Lord years ago. I went to a camp retreat. Sure enough, being at camp is what God got my attention. I think it gets you away from the world, gets you away from high school friends, grade school, gets you away from everything. And for a few weeks, <coughs> excuse me, a few days, you got... Okay, and God sort of gets your attention. So I like camp. I think camp's cool. I appreciate the people down here. Uncle Paul, next time you see him, just say, hey, I appreciate you. Uncle Paul's had me for almost 30 years. I've spoke at camps. I've spoken at camps in about five or six different states. This is one I keep coming back to. So that's a compliment to Uncle Paul. I always appreciate being around him. So I want you to have fun, enjoy your friends this week. But mostly I want you to grow and have, you know, a better faith when you leave, stronger. Have fun. If you can't have fun, then, you know, camp's sort of dull. So let me give you a couple things to laugh at to begin with. Check this out. A cheerful heart does good like a medicine, Proverbs 17, 22. That means it's good to laugh, correct? Yeah, it takes about 11 muscles to smile, I believe, and they say about 96 to frown. It's actually work to put a frown on your face, and yet some people manage to do that. So check this out. What you doing, Steve? Just frying some sticks. Are you crazy? This is a non-stick pan. Have you ever seen that before? Ah, See, you can't forget it. You'll get you on after a while. How about this one? Be quiet. I hear the can opener. And you hear us. I have cats in the family. I can go in there and open up a can of green beans and look down all of them around. You know, they're down at your feet. They just hear the can opener. It's uh, sort of like, must be tuna. No, it's not. Darth Vader's rarely photographed wife, Ella. Elevator. <laughs> Ella, but anyway, how about this one? What do you call a fake noodle? Pasta. Pasta. Gets bad, doesn't it? Last couple here. Just got a slow cooker. <laughs> See, that's a turtle. He's unused slow. Wouldn't want a turtle fixing my meal. Here you go. The rarely seen North American catalope. Catalope. That's the way mine look. Mine aren't quite that big. All right, if you're ready, are you ready? This is a track, and if you'd picture that track going up and down the hills out through there. I came up, and there, some of you might have even ran on a track. Probably got a six lane instead of eight lanes. Anybody ever ran on a track before? You know, it's like anybody ever ran hurdles by some wild chance? It's like, isn't it? So, just to try it is something different. Uh, I'm proud of my niece Emily. She's just in the ninth grade, and she thought she'd run uh, hurdles. Ended up doing okay, and she entered about six events. Now, see if it's not typical of some of you guys. She ran in about five or six events, and 
went into the district competition. She never placed in four of them, but she placed in one of them. That propelled her to go on to regionals. And it's awful tough, but in order to go in districts, my sister called and she said, pray for Emily today. She's going to the districts. And I thought, I don't know whether I've changed the way I pray. You know, I used to just, but now I almost think, Lord, it's like my hands have now connected with my head. You know, Lord, I look up and go like that. So I said, Lord, let Emily place in the top six in the district so she can go on to the regionals. And I know she probably won't win, but I know she's better than last. Pray for fourth place. I, I take it some of you got the hiccups back there. So the, the fourth place. I prayed specifically for fourth place. Mountie wrote me and said, she got fourth place today. Uh, now she's going to the regionals. And I said, Lord, regionals are where everybody gets to be. I mean, if you make the regionals, you go to the state. So I said, Lord, regionals are really tough. But I'm not going to ask you to let her win. Um, I'm just asking you to do this. Can she at least do her best? So that's sort of torn. No, it's not. I said, Lord, help her to do her best. And guess what? Now he wrote and said she never placed, but she had her best time of the year. Well, that was an answer to prayer. So I'm thinking... That sort of spoke to her, and when I later find her, I say, Emily, guess what? I was praying for you today. So if someone says you're praying for me, that, that makes a lot of difference. So uh, let's open up in prayer, and I'm going to pray for you as you pray for me. Dear Jesus, today I ask you to join us here in chapel. Help us to do our, our best. That's what I prayed for my niece. I pray, Jesus, that we'd be fo so focused on you, we'd be uh, not distracted by the things around us. I pray, Jesus, that you would zero in on an area of our life that we need to either get rid of or improve. There are habits that we do that we shouldn't do. There are things that we don't do that we should put into place. So, Jesus, I pray that you would uh, help us to work on those areas that we need to be better. And, Jesus, I pray that you'd draw us closer to you. So, Lord, you're the center of the chapel service today. I might be the one speaking, and the campers might be the ones that are listening. But, Jesus, I pray where two or three are gathered together, there you are in the midst, and here we are gathered together for you. So, Jesus, I pray that your presence would be felt and be sensed. Just help us be drawn closer to you. Help us to have a fun chapel, but one where our faith is strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. So, are you ready to get started? Here we go. I picture Jesus at the end of a track and when I raced, and that uh, reminds me of the verses out of Hebrews. You don't have to turn there, but here's Hebrews. Hebrews says this. It'll help you run a good race. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. When I ran track years ago, they'd sometimes use these ankle weights. You'd put ankle weights on, you would run, and then on the day of the meet, you could take those weights off, and for some reason, you felt a little lighter. It'd be like putting an army pack on your back and just running or trying to swim with it. Suddenly, when you take it off, you think, wow, it's easy. So we'd put a weight on. Well, that's a good thing when you're training. It's not a good thing when you have things that are slowing you down. And so if I have a, a habit that always hinders me, if I have something that slows me down, Paul writes, let us throw off everything that hinders us, slows us down, and the sin that does so easily entangle us. And instead, let us run with perseverance, endurance, you might say, the race that is set before us or marked out for us. Here's how we do We fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, or the pioneer. Now, if he's the author of our faith, that means he started it, and he will perfect it. Some days I don't feel like I'm getting any better, and Jesus says, Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will complete it. If he started it, he'll finish it. I don't think Jesus would ever leave a work half done. So if he starts it, he'll finish it. Focusing our eyes on Jesus. 
All right. Paul's second missionary journey. You're in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, and it is a familiar passage of Scripture. Paul went on about three missionary journeys. He took off on the first missionary journey. Paul, Barnabas, and a young man named Timothy, they got off the boat and they walked on the shore, and as soon as they got up to the shore, it's almost like they never even had time to unpack their bags, that this man came out and right about in their face, boom, right there, he was demon-possessed. And Paul and Barnabas, they just girded down their you know, thoughts, walked up to him, and Paul says, stop, and he just put that man in his place. Timothy, young Timothy's behind him is sitting there going, okay, and it's probably wet his clothes. It's like, wow, about ready to pass out. Is this how this missionary trip's going to be? Demon-possessed man comes out screaming, about like the one Jesus healed last night. And this guy was sort of scary. And Paul stopped, put him, I can just picture, Paul's like this, never bats an eye. Barnabas, strong, looks that man straight in the face. Timothy, however, he was so scared that at the end of that trip, well, didn't even make it to the end of the trip. Anybody ever been on a mission trip? Halfway through the mission trip, you go home. You say, oh, I've done that before. Well, I don't know, maybe you were homesick. Timothy wasn't homesick. I actually think he was probably what? He's scared. If this is how it's going to begin, oh, I don't know if I can take this. So the missionary trip ends. Paul gets ready for his second missionary trip. And Barnabas wants to take Timothy. Chapter 15 Verse 36, sometime later Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Bottom line, let's go back and show her, see how they're doing. You know how you show missionary slides and everything like that? Sound like a good idea. Barnabas said, okay, that's great. Let's take John with us. It's also called Mark, John Mark. But Paul said, no, nah, I didn't, it says, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement. You know, I'm not proud that they argue, but it sort of gives me hope. Sometimes when if I disagree with people and think, we're Christians, we ought to be better than that. Well, that's true, but Christians aren't free of all problems. <clears throat> Here's Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament disagreeing with somebody. So he and Barnabas sort of have an argument, a sharp disagreement, and they parted company. And Barnabas, who wanted to take Mark with them, went ahead and took Mark. Paul, on the other hand, went the opposite direction, and he picked up his, he sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left. And commended by the brothers, he takes off, and he starts his second missionary trip. Now, the positive way of looking at that, God, Romans 8, 28 says, For God, you know, all things work to the good for those who are called according to his purpose, to those who love God. Now, God has two missionary teams go out. We've got Barnabas and Mark going. Here's Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas are about to go on their second missionary trip. At least, Paul's going on his second one. Paul goes over to a place called like Asia Minor. And he says, I think I want to go upward. And God says, mm, no. But God, I want to preach. Mm, no. All right, then I'll go southward. I'll go down. Mm, no, nah, don't want you to go down there either. And Paul's like, I don't understand this. Isn't it good to go witness? Sometimes we don't understand what God's doing. And so we think, well, that doesn't make sense. That's where you've got to remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not on your own what? Understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll direct your path. God, I don't understand what you're doing here. Let me explain it to you sometime in the future. I don't understand that you do this. 
When we moved our Life Point Church right out on Williamson Road, and we're on like a main road, we moved right beside the Second Alarm Bar. Somebody might say, why would you want to be beside a bar? Well, first of all, if we're a church, don't you think the church being beside a bar is a good idea? Yeah, some people didn't. Ah, you don't want to be beside a bar. Where are we supposed to be? Next to a convent? I mean, we're supposed to go help people. So we moved in, and I met the bar owner. At first, he seemed a little bit rough, but then the more I got to know him, got to know his son. His son was about 48 years old, and he had throat cancer. Four months after we moved in, I preached his funeral. Four months. Why did God put us there? I think so I could get to know the family, so I could love them and understand them, and so I could make sure that Todd, who's the man that died, knew Jesus. Pray with Todd in the hospital, smile goes ear to ear. You say, but he died. Now, his dad didn't really like that, still doesn't. And his dad visits Todd's gravesite about every day. So his dad's still a little bit angry with God for taking his son. Now, I'm not saying I would never be that way. If I, I'm sort of, I miss Andy when he's on the other side of the world. But his dad just doesn't understand why God would do that. What if we get to heaven? When we get to heaven, God says, I know you didn't want me to take Todd. So let me show you what happened because of Todd dying. And a thousand people stand up and say, we'd give our life to you, Jesus, because of Todd's death. Would that be worth it? Yeah. And see, his dad doesn't understand that now. And I try to tell him that because I preached the funeral. And I looked out, and instead of campers like you guys, I had blue uniforms everywhere. They call it the Sea of Blue. Four or five hundred firemen are right there. And I, I got ready to speak it, and I thought, Lord, this is going to be tough. I mean, I'm going to be crying. Don't know if I can hold this together, but you're going to have to just superimpose. You're going to have to come over. He did. I didn't even, I was amazed at me speaking. I thought, who are you? Almost like one of those people, if I could step back, like, what are you doing? Yeah, everything just flowed. And I made sure I talked to people very clearly. At the end, I said, Todd is sort of like a fireman right now. He has went into buildings, and as a fireman, he has pulled people out of flames before. And I said, right now, Todd's with Jesus. And Todd's going to go in and grab some people, so to speak, right now, because some of you here don't know Jesus. And Todd, it's almost like he's going in and getting you and saving you not from the flames of a house, but from the flames of hell. He's trying to tell you. He would want me to tell you that Jesus is the way to heaven. And if you accept Christ, you don't go to hell, but you go to heaven. When I got through, a fireman came up and he said, I really appreciate you doing that. He says, I, I don't know if you know, but I rededicated my life. I've been away from the Lord. I rededicated my life while I was sitting there listening to you. So you just now rededicated your life in a funeral. You had other people come up and say, thanks for making the gospel so clear to us today. Nobody said, oh, so sad that Todd's gone. It's like good came out of this today. And Todd, I just know from heaven, would say he would smile. Now, does his dad miss him? Sure, we all miss him. But I'm just saying good things come out of sometimes a tough trial. Paul cannot understand. God, I don't understand you. I want to go preach north and you won't let me. I want to go preach south and you won't let me. What's the deal? And so he went to sleep that night. He looks over and here he has a chapter 16. Watch what happens. Chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions travel through the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They don't have peace about preaching. They wanted to, but they can't. When they came to the border of Maja, they tried to enter, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go there either. So they can't go up. They can't go down. Paul probably thinks, I'm going on a mission trip, God, and it looks like you're trying to stop me from preaching. What's the deal? Paul doesn't understand. 
During that night, Paul lays down. He has a vision of a man in a, a place called Macedonia. Maybe you've heard it this way. This is the Macedonian call. Picture a telephone. Ring. Paul picks up the phone, and it's a man over there saying, Would you come help us? Well, I hadn't planned on going over there. I wanted to go up. Go down. Now I understand why God didn't allow me to go upwards or downwards. You want me to go to Macedonia? Okay. So Paul decides the Macedonian call comes up. Paul goes over to a little place called Philippi. Guess what? Philippi is where we later get the book he wrote to a group of people there. And what's that book called? Philippians. Philippians. And Paul writes to the people of Philippi, the Philippians, and tells them, I appreciate you guys. So he is about to start the church. He's leaving Asia and what some people might call Europe. He's about to take the gospel to Europe. Now does it make sense? You can't go upward, Paul. How come? You can't do it. No, no. I want you to go here. It's never been there before. Okay. And so he goes over and he says, going into Macedonia in a little place called Philippi. Here's what Paul, his vision of the man in Macedonia. He goes over. Here's what he does in Philippi. If you got your Bible, look at it as I read here. You can listen to me. Paul's now got a vision to go and see some people in Philippi. Check this out. Consider these points about Paul then. Paul already had one exciting mission trip. He can't wait for the next one. Then he thought, it's going to stall out. I'm not even getting to do stuff. Nah, that's wrong. He's now ready to go have another one. Paul had a plan. God changed it. Paul then had a vision and felt called to go to Macedonia to preach there, and looks what happened. Paul went to the town of Philippi, most likely looking to plant a church, just like we planted a church in Roanoke. He's going to walk into a town with Silas, and that's it, and he's going to try to work with some people and win a few people to Jesus and let that crowd grow into a small place and plant a church there, and that's what he did. Well, who are some of the first people he wins? He wins to the Lord. I'll show you. Number three says, God honored Paul's vision and desire to use him mightily to win folks to Jesus. No doubt these folks, they were probably the first few members of their church. I don't know whether they call it Philippi Baptist or whether they call it the first church of Philippi. Whatever it is, they're going to plant a church. So well that Paul leaves and he takes off because they now got their own pastor. So that's a church plant. That's what we did. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. Paul wrote his letter later about six or eight years later, he writes a letter to the Philippians. And you don't have to turn to it, but let me just show you a couple things about Philippians. Paul has now got himself into a little bit of trouble. And you say, oh, I bet you he's mad. He's not mad at all. He's actually counts it all joy. He's going to be in jail. Some people think he's either in jail in Rome, in Ephesus, Caesarea. Those are the three prisons. Most people think he's in Rome. And most people think he's in Rome waiting to see Caesar. And by the way, if you don't know that story, by the time he gets to the last part of his jail term, most likely what happens to him? They behead him. So Paul is not immediately waiting on death row, but close. Well, with that kind of attitude, I guess Paul is just having a tough time. No, you don't even have to turn. But listen to what Philippians verse, chapter 1 says this. Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. This church has went from two or three to having overseers and deacons. Probably grown up. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Look what he says. I thank my God every time I remember you. I'd love to have that compliment to say, man, Edgar, every time I thank you, I just thank God. Wouldn't that be cool? What a compliment. 
How'd you like a teacher to come up to you and say, man, I wish I had about 50 students like you. Man, you're just great. Thank you. I'm just me. Yeah, but you're special. That'd be a compliment. Or do most teachers say, I'm glad I got rid of them. I would hope they don't do that. So Paul says, man, every time I think of you, I just thank God. You're such a great group. Here's another compliment. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Being confident of this very fact that he who began a good work in you will complete it. It's right for me to feel this way because since I've known you in my heart, whether I'm in change, whether I'm in jail, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more, that you'll know the depth, the height, everything through Jesus' love. He just brags on them. And he finally gets down to the last part of this first chapter, and he says, I'm in chains right now. And he knows them. They love him so much, he probably stops them from thinking this way. He says, I'm in chains. But, hey, don't feel sorry for me. He said, matter of fact, it's God's will for me to be in these chains, and I'm glad I'm in prison. He said, okay, Paul, you're, you're crazy. Why? If you'd read that whole chapter, he says this. Because I'm in prison, I'm getting a chance to share Jesus. Now, Paul was in a prison. What they do, they put a chain on him, and most likely chain him to a wall or chain him to someone. A Roman guard would come in at night. They chain him to Paul. Paul sits down. What do you think Paul's going to start talking about in the next few minutes? Yeah. How's it going? Pretty good. You're in jail? Yeah. Did you go to church anywhere? I've heard about you. Yeah, <laughs> you're chained to me. You can't get away. I'm a witness to you. You go to church anywhere? Well, sometimes. Well, going to church is important. What's more important is going to heaven. Can I talk to you about heaven? Like we got a choice. I'm chained to you. Go ahead. Well, a long time ago, I was on a Damascus road, and I was ready to kill Christians, and I'm at, I held the coach of the people that stoned Stephen to death, and I was pretty rough. Man, you sound like it. But then on that road to Damascus, a light hit me, and I said, who are you? And it turned out to be Jesus. Jesus got a hold of me and forgave me and he saved me. And I'll tell you what, my life's never been the same. You want your life to change? Well, you know, I've been looking for And he's witnessing to people. That guard gets saved. Now the guard goes through, the praetorium guards. They start witnessing. Paul says, because of me, we're sending out a crew here. All because he's in jail. Well, he's writing to the people of Phil the Philippi. The palace guards are starting to get used to Paul preaching. And of all the books, Paul writes Philippians is his joy book. He writes to Corinthians and corrects and writes to Ephesians, corrects and Galatians. Philip, if you read the book of Philippians, nothing in there. Is, he doesn't get on them at all. He says, I'm proud of you and I love you. Who are these people? Acts chapter 16, here's who they are. Paul wrote this letter in prison while in Rome, and I read chapter 1 for you. Let's look at the next thing. I want to see how this church started. If you want to plant a church, these are probably going to be the three most unlikely people you'd ever pick. But God had different reasons. Acts chapter 16. Let's see how Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Luke. Now, Paul and Silas were the missionary group. Instead of having John Mark, they picked up a young man named Timothy. They took Timothy with them. They also took Luke. Has anybody ever heard of Luke before? What's his profession? He's a doctor. I think Paul's probably not doing real well. He's sort of like got a personal physician. So Luke helps Paul when he's probably not feeling the best in the world. It's nice to have a doctor along. Luke wrote the book of Acts, by the way. It's pretty good to have a doctor description of how, what's going on. So Luke writes these words in Acts chapter 16, verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea, sailed down from Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis, and from there we traveled to Philippi. There it is. 
a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. He's expecting to find a, who knows, a synagogue or a church. They can't really find a synagogue. So it's, you mean they don't really have any churches? If you found a church, it's half tore down. If you found a church, I get the feeling it's empty. And I, they don't find men. Sad. We don't have men standing up for Jesus. We don't have a church to go to. So Paul gets, sees this group of people down by the river. And it's a group of ladies. Now you probably think, oh, I better not talk to them. They're women after all. No, that doesn't stop him. It'd be no different than me saying, oh, there is so-and-so. They're black. I don't talk to black people. Shame on us if we ever do that. There's Chinese. I don't talk to them. There's a young girl in high school. I better not talk to her. Everybody needs Jesus. Why not go talk to people? So Paul doesn't say, oh, there's a group of women. I better stay the other way. I don't know if it's, picture a little women's Bible study, and they're sitting there watching a Beth Moore tape on DVD or something, and they're just talking along, and Paul comes down and says, pushes the pause button, and can I talk to you guys a second? Well, sure. I'm the Apostle Paul, and I just want to share Jesus with you. Okay, he begins to give his testimony to that group of people. He has just found God has led him to a Bible study. Well, it's not quite a Bible study because those people are just getting together. They don't really have a Bible study much going on. Some people may know God, but some of them don't. Here's who he talks to first. This is cool. From there, he went down, found the Bible study on the Sabbath day, found a place by the river. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening, Paul's giving his testimony, notices this one particular woman. She's dressed in purple. That means purple is the color of royalty. This is sort of like someone who if I would know, and I, I happen to know one of my former students, my ball players back in Roanoke, he makes suits for people. He goes to someone's office, takes a tape measure and measures you, goes back and takes the measurements, comes back in a couple weeks. That is what we would call a what kind of a suit? That's custom made or that's a hand tailored suit. You don't buy that for $50 at the rack at Walmart. That's probably about $1,000 since I made it for you. So Lydia is that kind of person. She takes purple cloth. She could actually do royalty. She's a seller of purple. So this means she has money? Yeah. This means she's probably, she's really from Thyatira, if you'll read right here. But she's in Philippi, so she's probably got a house in Thyatira. She's got a house. It'd be like, oh, I got a house in Knoxville. I got a house down in Naples, Florida. I got one up in Maine. When I like to see the volunteers play, I'll go down to stay in Knoxville. If I want to go up to New York, i got a place. So you got three or four homes that look like mansions? Yeah. I drove somebody in driver's ed this last year at Salem, and they've got a place in Salem called The Hill. And that's where the fancy houses are. And I think there must have been about a three-story house up there, and there's two people in it. I just thought, Alex, a little ostentatious. That's a big word meaning you're really drawing attention to yourself. I walked in. It was a marble floor, about two feet marble squares were in that building. And I thought, wow, this is a huge house. It looks like a mansion, and there's only two of you that live here. Uh, I could take my house and be about the same size as their garage. I mean, that thing was huge. Does Lydia have a house like that? Mm, she might. Read this, and I'll show you. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. I've got a trick question for you right here. Is she a Christian? No. She's a worshiper of God, though. 
How can you be a worshiper of God and not be a Christian? So you're not saved, but you go to church. That makes sense? Church doesn't save you no more than me going to an airport makes me a pilot. So, you know, it's like you can go to church all day. It doesn't make you a Christian. I think she's a worshiper of God. She probably says, intellectually, I know God. And here's what this means, a worshiper of God. Monotheistic means one God, mono one. Polytheistic means many gods. There are some people back there that knew many gods. They believe in a God for culture. We've planted crops. Let's pray to the God, pray to the God of crops. We're going on a trip. Let's pray to the God to keep us safe. There's a different God. For, Lydia doesn't believe all that stuff. She knows that there's one God. She just doesn't know him personally. That'd be like saying, I believe in God. You can still lost me lost on your way to hell because the demons in hell believe in God, like we learned last night. Remember those demons that come out? Jesus, oh, son of God, they bowed before him. So this woman, Lydia, is a worshiper of God. She just doesn't know Jesus. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. I can imagine Paul just sat there and gave her the gospel, clear as can be. She finally thought, that's what I need. I've understood that there's a God, but I didn't know it was a Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for my sins. It makes it clear to her. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. I, she says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, I believe she was, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Please listen right here and grab this real quick. She does not know God, but now when Paul speaks to her, makes the gospel clear, she accepts Jesus. What's the instant thing she wants to do? This might step on your toes a little bit. I hope it does. When you know Jesus, your life should change. What does she instantly want to do with her money and her goods? Use them. Paul, please come to our house. We're really a missionary team. You've got to have a place to stay. You might as well stay at my house. Well, it's probably putting you out. No, I insist. You come to my house. Okay. Paul gets in there. They drive down the road, pull up in front of her house. Paul gets out and goes, this, this is your house? Yeah, it's this one I have here. Okay. Where do we stay? You just pick a floor, whichever one you want. We get our own floor? Yeah. There's a pool table in the back. And there's a swimming pool in the back. Basketball courts over here. The maids will come out and get you something to eat. Listen, whatever you want, whatever I have is yours. You just enjoy the house. Wow. You are saved because your life has changed. Up to then, she's probably so CEO kind of oriented, so business oriented, she didn't care about people. She instantly about basically gives her house away. I like that. If somebody walks forward and says, I, I need to know Jesus, I pray with them. They, How can I serve in this church? I want to get busy. Wow. Can I clone you? Because I need more people like you. Your life has changed. You don't want to be mean anymore. You don't want to be ugly. You don't want to cuss. You don't want to, like, God, I don't feel comfortable being the old me anymore. Good. Shows that you're convicted. So here is Paul and Timothy, Silas. Paul, Silas, and Timothy and Luke would travel together. They go out and meet a tremendous need. Here's some of the things that you ought to consider then. Check the next one out, if you can get it there. Want a picture of how to plant a church? Paul did it. Here's how he did it. Acts chapter 16, here's my three different people. Think of these three colors. Purple, black. Got one more. We better check it out then. Blue is my last cloud. Here we go. Check these three colors out. Purple, black, and blue. I just now told you the purple one, so look at her. Purple reminds me. Let's take a look at, this is Lydia, a seller of purple. Very fancy. So she looked nice. Yeah, she's probably more of Asian descent. She was from Thyatira, had tons of money, 
Had houses probably in several different places. She at least went to church, but up until now, she'd never made Jesus personal. She just thought, I hear the lesson and I leave unchanged. People do that at church every Sunday. You might do it at camp. I hope you don't. In the book of James, he gives a little example. He says, if a man goes to look at himself in the mirror, let's pretend like that's you, and you go up and you got a big streak of mud going through here, and you look in the mirror and you say, there's mud in my face, and you go, oh, yeah, my face is dirty. Oh, well, and you walk off. And throughout the day when I reach it, I go, hey, how you doing? And you should, and what do you want to tell me? Did you know you've got, you got mud all over your face? Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, anyway, and as soon as I turn, I forget about it again. Oh, you guys see it. Matter of fact, you got, can, can I get that mud? So like somebody eating and turning around and got ketchup all over their face like, you've got, some, can I just get a garden hose? You got something all, can, you got something all over your face there. Oh, you look in the mirror, yeah. But then you forget it again. It's almost like you're the only one in the room that doesn't know you have ketchup on the face. Everybody else does. James says if you look in the mirror and see something's on your face, to walk away unchanged, that's bad. So if you see something, you're like a man who looks in the mirror, sees what you need to do to change, and then don't change it. He says in James 2.19, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it's sin. If you know what you need to do, you come to church every Yeah, I'm lost on the way to hell. But anyway, and you walk on out the door, it's like, then do something. If I went to the dentist office and say, I need this tooth fixed, you come back an hour later, hey, I'm here to pick you up, how's your tooth? Well, I don't know, it's still the same way. You sat at the dentist office for two hours and didn't get it fixed? Yeah, I just, I know what I need to do. Then do it. I've actually had people tell me, I know I'm going to hell. Wow, how audacious is that? Then why don't you do something? I'm just, I don't know, I just keep putting it off. That's scary. Well, this woman, maybe she didn't mean to put it off, but she had. She's got tons of money. She's got, she's got everything the world would want. But she doesn't have Jesus. She's got tons of money. Money doesn't buy happiness, though. I know some people, once they get money, they almost become suicidal because they get so, well, I thought that's what they wanted. They realize that didn't fulfill the void, and now they're miserable again. Lydia's got everything you would need to know. Paul's not through yet. So he wins Lydia to the Lord. Yep. He's got his first person of the Philippian church. He doesn't stop at that one. All the members of her household were baptized. She invited us to come. I consider me, if you consider me as a believer, come stay at my house. Once we were going to the place of prayer, this might have been the next couple of weeks. Please read with me right here, or at least listen real close now. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, he's probably going back down there to that circle. He's won one person to Jesus. Maybe there's more. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of which she predicted the future. How do you think she's able to predict the future? Yeah, a demon, so she's, they say she's a slave girl, but she's actually probably possessed. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So it's almost like these people who owned her as a slave said, can you predict the future? And she does. I think she does that through the power of Satan. And they make her money. It'd be like you calling the 1-800 number and talking to Madam Chloe, and she's going to predict your future. That's a bunch of bogus stuff. I want you to know, don't read your horoscopes. Don't look into crystal balls. Don't have the Ouija board. We don't predict. All that's of Satan to me, okay? Let's just take it from me. I don't want to mess anything with that. Satan might give people power to try to predict the future. I think that's where this woman's getting her power from. The girl, watch this, she earned a great deal of money for her, from her 
owners by fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And you say, now why is that? Why does Paul get annoyed with that? She's actually saying the truth, but I think she's saying it in a way that almost mocks them. Oh, here comes some Christians. They can tell you how to get saved with Jesus. Paul's a very patient man, but look how long she'd done this. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, and that's what... How long did they do that? She kept this up for how many days? Many days. Paul's finally had enough. Okay? They followed her for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled. The word for that is annoyed. Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to her, said to the spirit. What spirit is he talking to? Y'all said to me. This is a demon right here. I don't know about you. If I took you on a mission trip and said, come on, I'm ready to go. Got your clothes packed, ready to go. We'll get in the call. Yeah, sweet ride. Yeah, that's great. Where are we going? Talk to demons. <sighs> what? Yeah, we're going to talk to demons as soon as we get there. We're going to cast them out of people. Why? Can we just stop at Dairy Queen? You just leave me there for a while. No, no, we're going. Yeah, we get out of the van. Now, let me tell you, and I turn and you're still in the van. Ah, I'm scared. Come on, get out of that van. We're going to take on the demons. That's what Paul's doing. So he goes up to this girl and he says, Stop! You're annoying me. Maybe you've had a teacher say that to you. Uh, would you stop pecking the desk? You know, something like that. You just keep a, you got a pen. I'm sorry, is that bothering you? Yes. Yes, it is. Here, let me show you. <laughs> Ow, you broke my finger. Yeah. <laughs> you won't peck it anymore, will you? What if a teacher really did what they wanted to do? You know, I've had people, oh, I just take their, <laughs> right into the desk. Is what I, or those people are about like this while you're talking. You sleepy today? Why? Oh, what'd you do that for? Big knot on the front of their head. Can I borrow your pencil? Yeah. Oh, what'd you do that for? You're annoying people. I brought in a guest speaker one time in my driver's ed class, and I said, listen, be on your best behavior. Let's really show this guy respect, because he, you know, we don't always have, go right, introduce him, the girl in the back, dead to the world back there, just sleeping. I'm thinking, we got a guest speaker, and you fall asleep while he's talking. That really shows him respect, you know. Here he is. And she's back there. I had a guy fall asleep one time in class. I just got everybody real quietly to get up. We turned the lights off, walked on out, just left. Left him asleep in there in a the dark room. About an hour later, come out. <clears throat> Where is everybody? You know, he didn't even know where he was. It looked like guitar strings on his face because he'd slept like this for a while. We were outside. He comes out like, what would y'all leave me for? Just wanted to have fun. You know, because you were mm, annoying, you know. What do you think Paul wants to do with this girl right here? Kick her in the river. You're annoying me. That wouldn't be nice. Tie a brick to her. No, can't do that. Throw a brick at her. No. You know what he needs to do? What do you think he ought to do? He can't. Commands the demon out of her and watch what happens. The girl followed Paul the rest of his shouting. These men are the servants of the Most High God. Paul gets annoyed with that. Well, isn't she doing good? No. I think it's out of mockery or just... He doesn't need her. I don't need the devil's help to do God's work. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so troubled he turned and cast. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they didn't care about her. 
They cared that their money was gone. That's sad too, isn't it? These are a bunch of jerks that own this girl. It'd be like, I've healed Billy. He can walk. Man, I hate that because I own a wheelchair factory. You're going to cut into my business if you keep healing people. What if I healed you from your vision? No one ever needed to buy glasses again. And people own the glasses company come and say, would you quit doing that? These people hate Paul. They got mad at him when the owners of the slave girl realized they had their hope of making money was gone. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, here is the whole charge in a nutshell. If you'd read this, you got a Bible. These men are Jews. Didn't say traitors, didn't say mean people. They're Jews. That's a prejudice thing. See, that can work either way, too. I don't like that. Well, you're black, so you hate me. No, I'd hate you whatever color you are. You know, I just feel like, quit using the race card so much. That's called race baiting. You're Jews and we hate you. You don't even know us. We are Romans, you're Jews, and you really get on our nerves. So we're going to throw you in prison. You can't throw me in prison for being a Jew. By the way, Paul might have been born Jew, but he actually, since he had a dad that was a Roman, Paul was actually a Roman citizen. They don't know that right now. Paul's actually saying, I was born Jew, I'm a Roman. What do you want me to be? Because I've got ties into anything. He just had a great missionary aspect. He can go into different regions. It's almost like he had a passport for every country he wanted to go to. Well, they got mad at him and threw him in a jail. Is this justified? Of course not. Here's the girl I'm talking about. They spoke to this girl, and I like to give people names. She would be what some people call, well, I don't know, in today's world, I'm just going to pick. Maybe this is you. I'm not preaching at you. I'm just saying. What do you call someone who's really maybe dressed in black, almost got a white face, it's sort of like a, a gothic kind of look? Yeah. You say, that's me. I don't care what it is, I'm just saying God loves us the same. We're prejudiced like that. I won't even talk about your school. I know I was. When I was in school, people thought, if I had cowboy boots, jeans, walk in, John Deere hat, yeah, or you're a redneck. Okay, you just now label me. I don't know if that's good or bad, but. Over here is Mr. Preppy. He's got the nice-looking shirt on, spit-polished shoes. So you're Preppy. You're a redneck. Here's a, the athlete. So, hey, there's a jock kind of guy. He's the athlete. So you're an athlete. You're a redneck. Here's the Preppy people. Oh, there comes a the drug head. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. Hey, what's going on? Not you. So you got the drug head, the redneck, the Preppy. just strange. And then here comes the gothic person right in the middle of us. Okay, you're scaring us. Long, black. You always dress in black. Why are you doing that? Because I'm depressed. I've actually taught people like that. I had this one boy, black shirt, black pants, black everything. He had a little march right through here because I think he was a cutter. Uh, you like Marilyn Manson a lot. If you like Marilyn Manson, I'm gonna, you won't like me because uh, I think Marilyn Manson is Maybe he's like this girl right here. I don't know if he's demon-possessed or what. Marilyn Manson claimed but I started talking to this guy. He said he liked Marilyn Manson. And I'm thinking, well, did you know Marilyn Manson's a little bit different? He immediately started getting a snarl look and looking at me like, like I was talking about his grandma or something. It bothered him that I was me. I said, Marilyn Manson, I don't think that's uh, probably not the best stuff that you'd be listening to. What's wrong with her? Well, for one thing, he claims to be Jesus. That makes him nuts, you know. There's one person who claims to be Jesus, and that's Jesus Christ, and he's it. There's one person who says, Son of God, Marilyn Manson claimed to be Jesus, and he can save you. That's not true. 
boy, he just got this evil look on me. Suddenly looking at me like, what are you talking about? And he sort of backed up a little bit from me and didn't like me too well. I was just speaking truth. I mean, whether you like Marilyn Manson or not, he's not Jesus. And he can't save me. And that guy's just a little bit, you know, anytime he got black eyeshadow on and all that and sort of looking at me sort of odd, and that's a blonde-headed guy with hair on his shoulders, I think it probably irritated him. Now, I didn't say, hey, I don't like you, get away from me. I didn't do that at all. Again, that's labeling. So I got gothic, redneck, preppy, whoever, all of them need Jesus. So I just try not to label people. Because if you look at this girl, you'd probably say she has no chance to get saved. Oh, she's in that occult stuff. She tries to do tarot cards and talk to her. You can't do that. So Paul just speaks to her. He casts a demon out of her, speaks to her, and watch what happens. They seize Paul and toss him into jail, but I think this girl, when the Spirit came out of her, she went from demon-possessed to Holy Spirit-possessed. Paul spoke to her, and I believe she got saved. So here's this girl. Look at those two women. How much alike are they? So we got this rich, preppy kind of woman, CEO of a company, has five different houses, and we got this girl, most likely probably dirt poor. She's a slave. She only gets money because of her owners making her do certain things. And she gets saved. So the first two people, the Philippi church, we've got a real rich lady and we've got a girl that didn't have anything. Paul's not through yet. They toss him into jail. Now he could have had that attitude and got bent out of shape and said, Why am I in jail? I was doing your will. Why are you mad at me? He didn't do that at all. They toss him into jail. And I got news for you. Anybody ever been to Williamsburg, Virginia, by some wild chance? Williamsburg's got these stocks, if you would notice. They lift up the top, and you put your hands in, your head in. This is sort of like stocks they used to when people would get locked up. They might want to put this. People would come by and hurl abuse at you. Hey, look at you. You know, so they're trying to make fun of you. Well, while you can maybe sit on a chair or something, that's bad enough. I don't think that's the kind of stocks they put in this prison. When they put them in prison, they would chain you, but they would almost contort your body some weird and lock you into this place. And then over here, they'd bend this back, and now they've got you in the chains to where you're very uncomfortable. It wasn't just hanging here like this. Sort of like you being very uncomfortable, and you can't move. You're locked into that. You're like me shoving you under a, a car, and you go, I can't even scratch my face. Well, we're going to leave you there for two hours. See you later. How about this? Just type, tape your hands down here. I can't move and let an ant crawl across your face. You're like, oh, I can't do it. You know, it's like... Granddaddy log legs. Get him off of me! You know, he'd drive you nuts. Well, Paul's locked up in a jail and he can't hardly move. Boy, he's cussing, isn't he? Nope. He's fussing. Nope. The Bible says he's praying and singing songs. I love Jesus. <laughs> What's wrong with you? You've been out of shape, look like a human pretzel over there in the corner like this, and you're quoting Bible verses and singing hymns. How do you do that? How? Because love Jesus. Boy, Paul, even Christians, I am. I'd almost look at Paul. How do you do that? I love God. <laughs> so they're just, that's not the biggest thing. The people are listening to them. All the other jailers are like, all the other prisoners, I love God. They're just singing along with them. Paul's changed a jail cell into a church. Isn't that amazing? All because he's got a great attitude. They seize him, throw him into jail. Look at this. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. Magistrates ordered him to be stripped, beaten. They've been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison. 
the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now look what, let me see if you're paying attention. The jailer had been commanded to guard them carefully. Well, that's pretty easy. Let's see what he does. Instead of guarding them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, all he has to do is what? Guard them. He puts them in stocks in the inner cell. He went a step past this. He's actually what we would call today over in Afghanistan, what some prisoners are done if we take a little pen or a stick and put it under your fingernails to try to get you to talk. What am I doing to you? I'm torturing you. He's torturing Paul and Silas. All you're supposed to do is watch us. Just set us over here in the jail. No, no I'm going to do more than that. Grab these guys. Let's go into the inner cell. Fasten them into stocks. Nobody said you had to do this. Let's have some fun. Let's take oil and get hot. Let's just pour that on you. Ah! You know, it's like torture me. Let me kick you. You're not supposed to be kicking me. Pour oil. They didn't pour oil. I'm just exaggerating slightly. You're not supposed to be mean to me. I got my rights. It'd be like a policeman saying, now we're going to talk to you. You need to tell us where the bad men are. I ain't talking. <laughs> Hell, that, you can't hit me. You're a policeman. Oh, I can't? There's another one. How about this? Kicking the groin. Ow, oh, what are you doing? I'm going to beat you until you tell me. You can't do that. Yes, I can. You are crazy. Yeah. That's what this guard's doing. You can't tie me in the inner cell. You're not supposed to put us in stocks. He does, he's as mean as he can be to this. And they're such dangerous criminals. What's their crime? No, not even tell about Jesus. They're Jews. So you're punishing me for being who I am. So if someone came up to me, where are you from? Giles County, Virginia. <laughs> what was that for? You're from Giles County. What is wrong with you? You beat me up because I'm from a certain place? They throw him into the inner cell. About midnight, Paul and Silas are praying, singing hymns. How do you do that? And then the other prisoners were listening to them. Other prisoners over there, hey, listen. I thought, wait. They start listening and hear Paul singing a song. Oh, me, all the prisoners are starting to sing in. Suddenly there was... Something that God had to do. These guys are all locked up. The jailer's being cruel. It's going to take a supernatural act, a miracle of God. God sins. It has to be from Him. Boom, here comes an earthquake. Shakes the ground. Jail doors open. He sends a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. I, always, I got that underlined in my Bible. I think God will shake your foundation sometimes. The very thing that you think is just... He might just take it from you. He'll get your attention. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Somebody's, everybody's chains came out. The jailer woke up. These guys are in solitary confinement, basically, and the jailer is asleep. That shows you how what a great guy he is. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he realized, I'm in big-time trouble. If these guys get out, Roman authorities could kill me because I failed at my job. So he pulls his sword out looking to do himself in. He's going to commit suicide. He thinks this is the best solution. I'll just kill myself. That way they won't kill me later. I'll kill myself now because I've ruined my life. 
And just as soon as he's about to kill himself, Paul says, wait, don't do that to yourself. It's dark, and he calls for a lantern, goes through there, and it's like, look, all the prisoners are still here. We did not leave when we had the chance to. Now, I don't know. Let me go a little bit right here and see if you can figure this out. Lydia is very smart. She's a CEO kind of person, so Paul sort of appealed to her intellect. He got her attention. Slave girl, she's just Dorothy over here. He's got to appeal to her emotions. So he grabs it and the heart's touched. This guy, this is what I'd call Blue Collar Joe. Well, Dorothy of Darkness over here. And then we got Blue Collar Joe. This is just the everyday guy. Here's what he wants to do. Let me come in and do my job and go home. Do my job and go home. Let me do my job, go home, drink a beer, watch a football game. You know, just let me be. Tells his wife, keep the kids in there. It's my man cave. You know, just let me be. And suddenly... Paul's got to appeal to him a little bit. This man goes to work every day. He's faithful. Now, whether he's got his priorities right, but he is very faithful. It's very important to do your job. This is what this man thinks. So Paul says, don't run yourself in. The doors are open, but listen, we're going to help you do your job. Do you think that man got his attention? Absolutely. We're going to help you do your job. It's very important for you to keep us here as prisoners. We are still here. You can close the doors back. You can lock us back in. The Roman authorities won't kill you. And that man just breaks at that and says, why are you doing this for me? I was probably the one that beat you. I'm the one that chained you. I was the one that was so mean and cruel, and yet you're being nice to me. How can you do that? And Paul shares Jesus with him, and this blue-collar Joe guy finally drops to his knees, and he asks a very important question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? How can I get to heaven? How can I be like you? Romans, or Acts 16.31 says this, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Again, it's a change. Lydia gives her house. This man gives his house. It's cool. He washed their wounds, set food before them, and everybody had a change in heart. Blue-collar Joe. Now, look at those three people. Is that who you'd pick to plant a church? No. We got the woman up there who's probably so stuck on her money and her house that she'll never change. She changed. We got Dorothy of Darkness. Ooh, sort of spooky just to sit behind. She changed. Blue-collar Joe, all he wants to do is make his truck payment and go home every day. He changed. So I got a blue-collar Joe. By the way, if I had these guys at LifePoint, I would put... She's going to help me count money every Sunday. She knows what she's doing. She knows how to invest things. I'm going to use that talent. Her, I'm going to use her for outreach. You want to go knock on the door? Can I talk to you about Jesus? Oh, I'll never change. Really, thanks to Dorothy, you don't talk to him. I used to be demon-possessed. <gasps> what? Yeah, I was demon. And now, but I found Jesus, and my life's changed. Wow. Well, if you can change, maybe I can. That's what I'm thinking. Come on, Dorothy's helped me with that evangelism. Blue-collar Joe, he's more in the churchyard. Taking up the offering every Sunday. All he wants to do is just help out in whatever way he can. These guys are great. Paul built a church around them. What else? Two women and a warden. Take a look at how these folks came to Jesus. See if you got a little bit of recall now. The first was religious yet did not know Jesus personally as her Savior. What's this woman's name? Lydia. Lydia. Person reminds me of how even churchgoers can still be lost and on the way to hell. Lydia shows up about every Sunday. She's lost. We all need more than 
religion. We need a relationship with Jesus. About the next, the second person was in a horrible shape. She's even demon-possessed. Most people in the church say, oh, there's no help for her. She'll never get saved. She would have been considered as hopeless. But instead, even the worst people can come to Christ. And the last person, third guy was just blue-collar Joe. He's like us, going through a day. It's like you. I'm just average at my school. Nah, God's going to change into something special. This person considered suicide. He was so desperate. Now, I thought that was interesting. Blue-collar Joe wants to kill himself, and yet demon-possessed Dorothy doesn't. This guy is so desperate he's going to kill himself, but God gave him hope. So which one of these three people would describe you? Are you Lydia, religious but still without Jesus? You say, I don't have a lot of money. I'm not talking about that. You go to church every Sunday, still don't know Jesus. I go to church, great, still don't know Jesus. Or maybe you're like Dorothy. You're involved in a lot of things you shouldn't be. I think Dorothy had some strange things in her life going on. I mean, she's demon-possessed. What do you think? We might not be demon-possessed, but maybe we're doing things we shouldn't. And just as an everyday person working hard, making a living, but not having what you need the most, me, hey, I make straight A's, I'm on the track team, I'm in the band, I got so much going on, still don't know Jesus. You work hard. Your work ethic is A+. Plus. So you're a good hard worker? I don't know which one you are. Maybe you're not even on that list. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That means, well, I'm sorry for some of the things I've done. Let that turn to repentance. Don't just, there's two kinds of sorrow. Some people say, I'm so sorry I got caught, but I'll do it again. I just hate that I got caught. That's a bad sorrow. Over here, I'm so sorry that there's no, there's no hope for me. That's the way Dorothy would probably feel, and they don't think there's a ch chance for a change uh, in her life. Then there's a godly sorrow. I know I'm wrong, and I want to do something about it. They said that's a godly sorrow that rep produces repentance. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, today as we close out chapel, there's some people in here that would probably fit a category that might not even be up here. Maybe some people go to church every week but don't know you. That's Lydia. And some of us might be doing some things that even our parents don't know or closest friends may, but we just would be so embarrassed to share. We do things while in secret. And what we often do in secret is what we really like. That's sort of like Dorothy, but she found Jesus. And some of us are just, we'd think, average. Who am I to God? Well, all of us are special to you, God. So I pray, Jesus, today, if someone doesn't know you, that they would come to you, that they would repent. That's what true God is saying. It makes us want to repent. Repent means to change. We're not satisfied with our life being the way it is. We want to change. So, Jesus, speak to hearts as only you can right now. And I know it's a morning chapel, and we've got a lot before us today, but what a great way to start a day than to come to you. So, Jesus, right now, in a moment, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, someone might pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm sort of like those people. I go to church. I've done things that I wouldn't even want to tell others. and Maybe I just feel average. But I know I can change if I come to you. So Jesus, you're my hope for change. So would you come into my heart and forgive me of all my sins and change me, save me, forgive me, and be my Savior and help me to live for you from this day on? Would you do that? And I promise you that Jesus will instantly say, yes, I will. So maybe some of you have invited Jesus into your heart. And some of you who have been away decide to say, you know what, it's time I put my foot down and let people know I'm a Christian. Be bold like Paul and Silas. Not be afraid to let somebody know that you're a Christian. So Jesus, would you speak to our hearts today?
Thanks for all you do in Jesus' name.